Hey guys, this week's podcast brought to you by Go Wild. Y'all have heard me talking about Go Wild for some time now, the all new social media app for the outdoor community. If you're tired of the hate, hey, there's no anti hunters, no folks telling you they hope that your kids get run over by an 18 wheeler because you went out and shot a white tailed deer. None of that on Go Wild. Uh, just a great group of like minded folks who share a passion for hunting, fishing, and the great outdoors. And get this Go Wild has also partnered with Houston Safari Club. An organization that has donated uh, $3.5 million in hunter-funded programs. And also, get this, they've put $2.1 million into scholarships for hunters. So obviously, Houston Safari Club doing a lot of great things. They see the value in working with Go Wild. And I think it's a great partnership. So I encourage you to check them both out, of course. And I'll see you over on the Go Wild app. road again just can't wait to get on the road again the life i love is making music with my friends good morning good morning good morning good morning sweet beautiful texas and beyond the redheaded stranger kicking things off for us on the lone star outdoors show powered by dallas safari club i'm your host cable smith thank you so much for tuning in today thanks to our presenting sponsors lone star beer and hoff power polaris let me tell you, there is no place I'd rather be than talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So thank you for being here. I do appreciate each and every one of you. Hope you all had a great 4th of July. I know I did. And, uh, man, we've got a great show lined up for you today. I just returned home from across the world, South Africa. It's been a week there hunting with uh, my friends over at John X Safaris. So today... We're going to talk all things South Africa, and I mean not just the hunting, but also the culture. We're going to talk about the cooking, uh, everything from uh, buffalo tongue to wildebeest carpaccio and smoked uh, kudu heart and liver, which uh, actually I took, some, I took some seasoning over there. You're not going to believe this. And they asked me, uh, last year I cooked my kudu heart on an open fire. It's called a braai. It's a South African barbecue, basically. And uh, so they expected me to do it again this year, which I was uh, happy to oblige. Even brought my own seasoning and my Havilon uh, Barracuda fillet knife over there. And this year we added liver to the party. And so uh, two nights I was able to cook. Uh, one night it was springbuck heart. The other night uh, kudu heart and liver of both. Phenomenal. Let me tell you, and I hadn't cooked uh, liver on an open fire like that before. Uh, but once you get that, and here's the key for liver, got to get that outer membrane removed. And then it's just, uh, it's one of the most tender cuts that you'll ever put in your mouth. And all that aside, uh, man, we've got a great show lined up for you. So pour yourself another cup of coffee, pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire, because off the top, we'll be joined by my friend and my personal PH, a professional hunter, Carl Van Seel of John X Safaris. He's the second generation owner of the company. And we're going to head into the mountains with Carl and chase a species that is unlike anything else in the world. It's called the Val Reedbuck. It's one of the uh, tiny 10, Africa's tiny 10 antelope. And you'll just have to tune in to find out how unique this species is as far as where it lives, its behavior, and physical characteristics that are just plain weird, <laughs> to be honest with you. 
but uh, a fascinating species nonetheless. So we're going to talk some volley hunting, and uh, and then Carl will stick around for another segment. We'll discuss his upbringing in South Africa, third world country. Yes, his father uh, owned John X Safaris as, as he was growing up, but Carl never had anything handed to him. He had to go out and make some money. So he proved to be very resourceful and started selling wildlife products uh, to the witch doctor. And you can make a decent amount of money as a, a 9, 10, 11-year-old boy selling things such as rock rabbit urine, wildebeest tails, and uh, who knows what else. But uh, we'll discuss that with Carl coming up here in just a bit. Then Carl's sister, who happens to be the head chef at John X Safaris, Lee Van Seal will be here. And we'll discuss uh, everything from butchering uh, to aging and uh, some of my favorite wild game preparations that Lee has served at uh, the camp at John X Safaris. Stuff like smoked buffalo tongue or Eland uh, oxtail stew or uh, wildebeest carpaccio. I mean, wow. Talk about something that blew me away. Uh, things like that. She'll tell us how to prepare them, how long she ages the meat in the cooler, how she chooses which cut to work with. and uh, Oh, and then biltong, which is a staple in South African culture. It's dried meat. Essentially, it's very similar to our jerky, but uh, she'll tell us how to make biltong as well. And then we'll wrap up today's broadcast by checking in with uh, P.H. Martin Niper of John X Safaris. He is the bow hunting wing of the operation. Not that the other PHs don't take bow hunters. They do, but Martin is the most seasoned oh, and one of the most seasoned uh, bow hunters in all of Africa. Uh, so he will join us at the bottom of the hour, and we will focus specifically on the Cape Buffalo. Bow hunting Cape Buffalo. Um, what kind of rig do you need as far as poundage? What grain arrow and broadhead are expected? How close do you need to get to the Black Death uh, before you take that shot? And at what angle do you need the animal facing in order to get enough penetration to put it down quickly? So all that coming up with Martin at the bottom of the hour. And you don't want to miss it because uh, everyone else in camp refers to Martin as the guy who if uh, Chuck Norris needed a PH, Chuck would call Martin. So... Cool stuff coming up with Martin at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I'm certainly excited to uh, to share some of my experiences over the past week and and also expand on those and, and basically just uh, talk South Africa hunting, cooking, and the uniqueness of their wildlife today. So uh, certainly pumped about that. Uh, a couple other things to mention. Don't forget that our uh, July photo of the month contest is rocking and rolling we've got a stealth cam ds4k um, hd trail camera that we're giving away this month and these things retail for 300 bucks so send in your best hunting or fishing photo email them to lone star outdoors show at gmail.com post them on our facebook page or tag us on instagram use the lsos photo contest hashtag on instagram and we'll get you entered let's do a quick giveaway um Let's see, we are headed to Coons Canyon Ranch for Guns and Guitars 4 next weekend. And I've got a Coons Canyon Ranch soft-sided cooler and game guard camouflage. We'll give this away to actually everyone who emails in Coons Canyon Ranch to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com will be entered to win the KCR 
soft-sided cooler. You can fit a case of beer in this thing, case of Lone Star. So anyway, email for your chance to win. Let's take a break. Up next, we check in with my good friend and PH Carl Van Seal. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here, and I need to tell you about the Go Wild app. If you've experienced any kind of hatred on social media from anti-hunters, from tree huggers, and the like, then check out the growing Go Wild community. It's free. It's available for both iPhones and Android. It's a great place to trade hunting and fishing stories, recipes, and share some of those bragging board moments of your outdoor successes. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app, available for both iPhones, and Androids. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Gonna stand my ground Won't be turned around And I'll keep this world from dragging me down Gonna stand my ground And I won't back down There's little Johnny Cash bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today Thank you so much for being here It is a pleasure to be talking outdoors with you each and every week. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July. Uh, Truly a unique holiday from my standpoint because here we have our Independence Day, which ultimately stems from a group of armed citizens defeating Great Britain. And so to me, it's ironic because in our society today, we have these people on the left celebrating this holiday while they're trying to take our guns away. Uh, Does that make any sense at all? To me, it it doesn't. And uh, the term history repeats itself is something that I believe to be true. Uh, Clearly, the other side has no fear of that term whatsoever. Uh, So shame on them. But anyway, hope you guys had a great fourth. Uh, My family certainly did. Uh, We are all set to discuss a a truly a a unique, one-of-a-kind animal that I had the pleasure of of pursuing in South Africa last week with John X Safaris and uh, John X Safaris Carl Van Seal will be here momentarily but first this segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club truly a global organization of folks who are passionate about hunters rights education and big game conservation Carl is a life member I am as well and I want to invite you guys and gals to get plugged in Uh, check us out at biggame.org for more information 
All right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and take a listen to my conversation with Carl Van Seal, second generation owner of John X Safaris on South Africa's Eastern Cape. I was in South Africa last week, had the chance to hunt with Carl for uh, seven days, and we pursued all kinds of uh, crazy antelope, uh, lynx, you name it. <laughs> we had a blast doing it. We were successful in some of those endeavors. Others we weren't. But one animal that really left an impression on me was the Vol reedbuck. Truly a unique species that probably many of our listeners have never even heard of. So without further ado, here it is, uh, my chat with our good friend and my PH, Carl Van Seel. Thank you very much, Gable. It's uh, great being on air again with you guys and um, looking forward to another good week. Yeah, and well, we've had a heck of a week so far. Um, and one thing that I want to talk about specifically is this very unique species that we decided to target on our second safari together. Uh, some of my friends have, have hunted this animal. Uh, Derek from Horizon Firearms, our mutual friend, uh, one, is one of the guys that told me what a great hunt this was and just an absolutely incredible animal that is, as you told me, like nothing else on this planet. Yeah, Cable, um, you know, when you and I first did our hunt last year, um, I obviously started you off on some of the traditional species of Africa. But like uh, guys like Derek and, and mutual friends like Glenn and Steve, uh, Travis, those guys all hunted Val Rayback with me and I, I wanted to get you into the mountains and get get you going for a taste of uh, what Africa and mountains have got. Um, so few people realize that there are actually mountain, mountains and mountain hunting in Africa. And for that reason, I wanted us to pursue Val Rayback, which is one of the most unique species we offer here. And one most certainly underrated, I think, around the world, just because it's not a well-known species, because it's smaller than anything else out here. I mean, people think of Africa, they think of elephants, lions, kudu, you know, things like that, and they don't realize what unique small critters they are as well. Mm -hmm. And this thing probably weighs, what, 50 pounds, I would guess, maybe? Yeah, at, at a max cable, you, I would say 50 pounds, at a max. Um they the, the Val Reedback is a mono species, so it has no relation whatsoever to anything else out there. Yeah. I always like to tell guys, and like I told you on the side of the mountain there, when we walk up to your Val Reedback, um, you're actually going to realize this, this animal is very similar to a rabbit. It has fur <laughs> yeah. like a rabbit, it has ears like a rabbit, it has a nose like a rabbit, and it's got brilliant eyesight, um, and it has a fluffy tail like a rabbit. So... I, I always said it's like hunting a, a jaguar, you know. Yeah. You know, pretty cool animal, and and and, and what the Valrebuck does, and what makes it unique, like you and I experienced uh, during the course of the day, was they like the high country, and they always use that to their advantage. But I think. The, oh my gosh, it was hard to get close to. I them. think the main thing that they they rely on is their eyesight, their mm -hmm. unbelievable eyesight, and they are wide awake. If you creep over a horizon somewhere and you don't have cover behind you, then they pick you up within seconds. It's unbelievable. From six, seven, eight hundred yards away, it's as if they just zone in on you. Yeah. So you got to have your wits about you, um, work the wind, work the sun. That's an underrated part of the hunt as well. Make sure you try and stay in the shadows as best you can, where you can, in the rocks. And, and then just try and try and use dead ground. You know, that's the only way to really get onto them. Mm-hmm. Um. Going back to what you said about their fur, because most, when you think of, and this is an animal that has horns, uh, which we'll talk about the size of those here in a minute, but when you think about most species, they have hair. 
this thing it was like I, don't, I wanted to make mittens out of it it felt so warm yeah absolutely and I, I think they have that because they live up above five and a half thousand feet so uh-huh. I think the winters get really cold and we have uh, we have snow up in those regions and for those animals to thrive and adapt and live there uh, I think that is the that's the way nature took care of them and, and if you actually put your hands into their, their, into their fur like we call it uh, you will be amazed at how warm it is against the yeah. body actually once you down the ramp. Mm-hmm. And so what is a a good representative trophy as far as like a, a mature ram? A mature Vari buck is anything we feel from seven inches up is very acceptable. Um, with my team here at Johnny Safaris and what we try and achieve and what we're trying to do is we, we, we've set ourselves a, a high bar and we've said to ourselves, We'd like to hunt eight-inch volleys. Uh, we'd like to pursue volleys in the eight-inch class. It takes a little bit more. It takes larger areas. It takes bigger quotas with more conservative approach. That is what we've had to do to achieve that. But it has allowed us to, to hunt some fantastic quality volley duck. And we've been fortunate. Uh, we've held on to five or six really large mountain areas for over 20 years now. And and our management policy and our principles have paid off us where we are consistently shooting 18-inch volleys and up. And, and, and therein lies the, the big differentiator for a team of guys who are committed to that, to the guy who just goes out there and finds a 7-inch volley. There's a big difference in that of half to a 3-quarter inch. It seems the 7 to 7 and a quarter is a readily available volley, but that 18-inch volley is just that one step further that requires you to hunt harder, look harder, and just put in a lot more effort. Well, we've glassed our tails off uh, this week, not just on the volley hunt, but also Kudu and Yala. I mean, your eyes look kind of tired. <laughs> sure, I've, I've given it my all the last few days. It's the, we haven't had much luck. Yeah. Um, and then... Lo and behold, we, we had an unbelievable morning with Inyala. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and that that's a just reward for good effort, I think, from both of us. Uh, Absolutely. And Aussie. You know, we've been looking hard and all the way through our track, and we've been giving it our all. Yeah. Well, going back to the volley, uh, just to kind of explain to people, you mentioned it's like a jackrabbit with horns, essentially. It lives in the mountains, has fur. Watching these things cover the landscape, though, because they were running, and we saw a young ram... Yeah chasing a female around and the amount of ground that they were they had no idea we were there yeah at that time but the amount of ground they covered it was like they could just leap up the mountain just effort, effortlessly absolutely and, and and the thing about these volleys and, and something people don't realize is because they are a difficult species number one to study to find uh they live up you know where very few people live as you saw <laughs> uh firstly and secondly because they're so wary, it's very hard to study their habits. And the distance they cover, like you actually mentioned, um, it, it not only happens with, with groups with the, with the social structure, with the females and, and rams, but man, volleys kill each other. One of our biggest problems is when we do see a big volley buck and we, we try and work on managing that, that valley, you know, that section where that big volley is living, that those genes are spread. One of our biggest fears is other rams killing them. They kill each other everywhere. And when you walk around those mountains, you and I did not find a skull, but quite often you will find them where their guts function. They actually stab mm. each other and they do die. Mm. So, wow. very aggressive. Um, and if you see a really old ram, it's nearly better to take him 
um, then then hold off and give him another two or three years worth of breathing. When you see him in that eighteen class, take him because chance of him being there next summer is fifty fifty. A younger yeah. ram with much sharper wings coming instead. And you mentioned uh, you told me off the air like. You guys have been hunting these things for decades, and you've killed five ten inchers, I think. We've killed five ten inchers, which would be like a two hundred and ten years. And it's like a two hundred twenty inch white tail. Three range white tail, yeah. Three range white tail. That's what we're talking <laughs> about, and it's like um, for us, the ten inches is the holy grail. We we go out there and we'd love to every one of our hunters that opportunity. But the reality is, all of us want to head out there. All of us want to head out there and have a. Um, a, a chance at a 220 tail, but the reality is you know we, yeah. it, it's just so hard and that's what makes it so amazing <laughs> yeah. you know having that so we have achieved that uh, and, and all, 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 of, all of the guys have achieved that being Americans which have been pretty neat the guys have supported our conservation initiative here um, sustainability through hunting and, and, and we're so glad those guys could take those unbelievable trophies back and so glad they realized what they had achieved and what they had harvested and hunted actually mm-hmm. um but like you saw it's no it's it's no easy task yeah. finding them well and, and it leads to some long shots Big so time. i i think i hit i hit him the first time at 600 actually he ran towards us he was hurt yeah and ended up finishing him much and, closer but i mean and, that's farther the, than i've ever shot in an exactly. animal before and, and the 600 yard shot was completely out of character with what we would have wanted in that situation. It, the afternoon was getting on, uh, our volley was going, and I felt I'd, I'd watched you with your with your Rising Firearm 7 mag. Um, we, we, had, we had a good uh, chart with us as well. We had a good idea of what we, what what, what the gun would be doing. Um, and, and, and luckily for us, you know, the volley actually came closer after <laughs> the shot. So what started well ended well, and, and, and he came right to within, he actually came to about 300, yeah. which halved the distance, and, and you were spot on then, you know, it was no problem. But uh, it was lucky that he did. I was quite surprised that he did. <laughs> I was shocked. I thought we were busted for the day, but glad he did come. Yeah, well, sometimes the rub of the green works in your favor. Absolutely. We'd get, we'd get humbled uh, a couple, t- for two days chasing kudu after that, so uh, you can't win them all. Uh, but absolutely a very unique species, like you said, uh, there's genetically nothing else like it out there. It doesn't have any cousins or... No relation. They cannot find it. They actually classify it as a mono species. Yeah. It stands alone on its own and uh, nothing been found today. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm glad I got to experience it, Carl. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun day in the mountains. And, and like you mentioned earlier, uh, I, can't, I can't explain how cool hunting in the mountains in Africa is. It's just... It's everything like Western big game hunting back home. Mm-hmm. But... With more species. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we hunt a whole week for one damn mule deer. You know, here it's yeah. like, well, we, we're hunting Val Reedbuck, but oh, uh, there's a mountain Reedbuck. Or, exactly. hey, oh, there's some kudu, maybe. Yeah, you know. exactly. And 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 this is only the beginning for you, Cable. On, on our next trip, you're not going to pursue Clip Springer now that the tiny tin. Yeah. But you, I can see there's a, a man interested on safari now. When we start seeing some <laughs> of the little guys, we, we stop and we look and we glass and we talk about it. So the Valley is your initial and in the mountains but next year we'll be after the clip springer and that's a whole different level of excitement and really tough species to pursue yeah. not only for you but for me too when guiding it really makes it tough to judge and find the right ramp right on well i'm looking forward to it absolute pleasure cable and good it was a good time up in the mountains and uh, looking forward to the next one absolutely carl as am i and i'm also looking forward to our next segment i think our listeners are going to enjoy it because we'll take a walk down memory lane and find out a few of the 
obscure and crazy things that a young entrepreneurial Carl Van Seel did as a boy to make a buck in the great outdoors. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the lake this summer. And remember, drink responsibly with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Up next, it's Rock Rabbit Pea, Wildebeest Tales, Leopard Skins, and Witch Doctors with Carl Van Seel. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Maybe it's all that I got. Maybe it's forever. Maybe it's just tonight. Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Greep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of Teammate, the T-Post game camera mount. Teammate is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-Post, and latch it in place. Teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com. Cable here, and we all know that the North Texas weather plays for keeps. That's why you should call my childhood baseball buddy, Phil, with Tech City Roofing. Tech City is a one-stop shop for your roofing needs, offering a 10-year transferable warranty. They don't require money up front or a down payment. They deal directly with your insurance company. Tech City is insured and has an A-plus rating with the BBB. Call Phil Marler at 940-600-8221 for a free inspection, or email him at phil at techcityroofing.com. That's my lifelong bud, Phil with Tech City Roofing at 940-600-8221. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit bobcatofdallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I don't need that whiskey anymore. He's not the way I did back before. That stuff tried to kill me. Tell the truth, it never thrilled. Rock and roll, one of my favorites there from my good friend Cody Jinks, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. And thanks to you guys and gals for being here. I certainly appreciate you tuning in. Um, We are going to continue visiting with our good friend and my PH, professional hunter, Carl Van Zeel of John X Safaris and we'll do that momentarily got some fascinating stuff to get into that I, I think your mind is going to be blown as far as uh, <laughs> what Carl used to do to make a buck as a kid um, but first this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders it's grilling season and All Seasons has an entire lineup of backyard barbecue pits grills and smokers you can find them all at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, uh, well, let's go ahead and jump back into it here with Carl. And and the setting for our conversation, which I taped in South Africa last week, um, just picture this, a a veranda overlooking a watering hole in the plains of South Africa. You've got warthog, kudu, 
um, Inyala, Impala, I mean, you name it, that come to this watering hole. And they, they could be there at any point in time, water buck, regular visitors. Uh, and this is right there in front of the beautiful lodge uh, at the Woodlands Estate, uh, which is 30,000 acres. Um, and one other side note. So if you think about these game preserves in Africa, I mean, 30,000 acres, you could drive around that property for a day and never see a fence. The animals have no idea they're fenced in. And let me tell you this, which I was amazed when Carl told me this. Um, you know how big an eland is? It's the world's largest antelope, weighs about 2,000 pounds for a mature bull. Carl was sitting there watching one feed on his property. And I guess that old eland decided he wanted to eat something on the other side, jumped the fence, and started feeding ne uh, next to the highway. Absolutely incredible. Think about the agility of an animal of that size to be able to jump a seven-foot high fence, maybe eight feet. I don't even know. But uh, Carl said, yeah, most animals, you know, they can just kind of come and go as they please. The bigger ones jump the fence. The smaller ones, like a steen buck or diker, they can come and go through the fence. Those are a couple members of the tiny tin. And they come and go at will. So the fence is really designed to keep would-be poachers and other uh, miscreants out of the property more so than to keep animals in the property. Now, with that being said, uh, we spent probably two-thirds of our time hunting free-range animals. Uh, we headed to the mountains about an hour and a half north of Carl's place, and that's where I harvested the fall reed buck that we talked about in the last segment, also spring buck, uh, steen buck, and bonta buck. So if you are really opposed to hunting a high fence, even though it's 30,000 acres and you never know it, uh, Carl can make the hunt whatever you want, like I said. Uh, we took the majority of our animals on the open range there. So now that you have a, a better understanding of the logistics of John X safaris and uh, the opportunity that exists when hunting with them, let's pick it back up with Carl because we've got some fascinating stuff to get into. Thanks for sticking around through the break, bud. Thank you very much, Gable. It is a pleasure. And uh, I got to spend, I just got to spend a week with you back in South Africa, John X safaris. Um, we had an amazing time, hunted all kinds of game. But I don't want to talk about that right now yeah. because I think our listeners are going to find this segment quite humorous because I know I did and interesting <laughs> just on a on a level of what Carl did as a young boy to make some spending money. And uh, so this all started because we were hunting uh, we were hunting kudu. Yeah. And on these rock faces up in the mountains, the rocks, a lot of the bigger boulders yeah. are stained white in yes. just certain sections. And I was like... Carl, I don't see any birds around here, so is that, I don't think that's bird crap for these rocks just like that. And you're like, no, it's actually the rock rabbits. Yeah. Which So what's a rock rabbit? Okay, so a rock rabbit, and, and this is very interesting, and most people on safari, when we show them the rock rabbit, or it's, it's actually called the rock hyrax, that's the proper name, but we, we call them rock rabbits, and we slang, and when we grow up, we call them dussies, the Dutch word dussy. Uh -huh. and, and, and dussy means... I'm not sure what it actually means. I just grew up with Dussie, and and that's what they're known as. And and as a little kid with your 22, you grow up being allowed to hunt Dussies. You were given free range on Dussies. There's millions of them out here in these mountains of ours. I think similar to your prairie dogs back mm -hmm. in the U.S. And uh, they live on the rocks. And, and, and our parents, well, my dad and, and, and my buddy's dads believed that it was good for us to hunt up in the mountains, learn about hiking, walking with a rifle, and being safe, markmanship. Yeah. Uh, so we had a 22 and we could hunt dussies. Um, and 
and and over time uh we, we, we learned about these dussies and we, we came to learn that their nearest relation to a dussie is an elephant huh. and this is crazy and people go well you're an absolute liar because this thing is only about a pound and an elephant is five tons right how is it possible but it's the bone structure in the foot actually hmm. they have exactly the same bone structure and that's why they're the nearest relation which is pretty cool yeah. but yeah to come back to our dussies and, and what you and i saw up in the mountains there cable um it as a little boy um the the local trackers we at our hunting camp and growing up in the safari industry the trackers always got a plan you know tracker is your best buddy as a kid when you grow up and I was very fortunate. I had a great Bushman tracker that, that I spent many days with, many hours with. And uh, his name was Balbal. And Balbal would teach me all about the mountains and the wildlife. But he also taught me about ways of uh, being a little entrepreneur yeah. as a kid. <laughs> and uh, him and I used to collect, and another little buddy of mine, Bobby, we used to collect uh, the rock rabbit urine. When it actually cakes onto the rocks, where the shadows are, it does not dry out like the white lines uh-huh. you saw on the rocks. So I used to get, we used to head up there and we used to scrape it off the rocks and we could fill up like a peanut butter jar size. And for that, we could get like 300 Rand from the witch doctor. It's like uh, $20, $22 yeah. right now, right. the exchange rate. Now, if you're an eight, nine year old boy and you're 22 bucks, you were the rich. richest kid in the world. Yeah. You know? Um, so we thought this was crazy because we could hunt, scrape rock rabbit weed, and make a ton of money at the same time. <laughs> so it was really neat um, kind of way of doing things. I tell you what, we, soon we had enough money. We were we bought our, our own BAS uh, shotguns. I mean, uh, pellet guns, uh-huh. which you call BB gun. Yeah. So we had our first uh, pellet gun, and then we could shoot birds, and we weren't reliant anymore on 22 bullets because... Our, our parents rationed us to five bullets a weekend. Oh, wow. So you were really rationed. And so to make those shots count. Made those shots count. <laughs> well, you soon figured out if you took a shotgun shell and you cut it open, you had a lot of pellets which you could shoot through the pellet gun. Hmm. And that was a lot cheaper and your parents didn't, they didn't count the shotgun shells all too well. Yeah. Okay, so scraping rock rabbit urine, you t- how did you find out about this witch doctor? I guess it was the tracker. My tracker. He said to me one day, we were sitting and watching, and he said to me one day, he said, um, you know, we must, we need to make some money here. You know, we need, I, I, he obviously had something he needed money for, and he thought it would be the best thing to pull me into it. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was the partner in crime, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, so we would scrape the, the, the rock rabbit weed, um, and, and it's like a gooey mayonnaise type substance. When Disgusting the something, yeah. Yeah, and it smells really bad. But you know, So what does the witch doctor use with it? I mean, what they, they use it in their traditional muti, which is medicine basically, mm. um, for various ailments. They mix it into their uh, various medicines, if you want to call it. Call that. Uh, the, the rock rabbit wee was not used specifically for one thing. It was always in combination. They make like wee tea with it? Well, not necessarily. Disgusting. Sometimes it's a cream. Sometimes mm. it's uh, something you have to drink like like you say it's it's various <laughs> things you know sometimes it might be an ointment yeah um but some of the other things that we also sold to the witch doctor at the time which was a great money spinner for us and we thought that was the best of all was black wildebeest tails uh. so whenever a hunter would hunt a trophy black wildebeest you know we always believe in africa nothing goes to waste well when he didn't want the black wildebeest tail i'd be in the skinning shed skinning it out and we got like thirty dollars of black wildebeest tail and and and, and the local also tribe yeah where, where i grew up 
They believe that a, a smoldering black wildebeest tail will make a man and a woman fertile. So if you were having pregnancy issues, you could smolder a black wildebeest tail and the witch doctor would beat you over the head with it. And uh, basically that would bring you better luck and make you fertile and so you can have children. And then you're having twins. And precisely, whatever. I don't know what happened. I never did get the uh, smoldering wildebeest tail. But, I mean, my wife and I just couldn't stop that, you know. It's just like, boom. We weren't even trying, you know. Yeah. Well, you Blessed, lucky I man. Guess, if you were in Africa, we would be beating you with the wildebeest tail. <laughs> so, okay, but there's, uh, there's one other thing you said that she really wanted. You never gave it to her. It's highly illegal. Yeah, it's But the, she would have sold the farm if you bought yeah, a leopard. So, the, the witch doctor would always press one for more, you know. They always wanted more. They they soon figured, well, this you know, this kid's got away with a wildlife and and, and, and he had access to it, and, and, and I did in the mountains and everything, but they always wanted leopard skins, you know, that was the big deal. Or hyena too. Or leopard, hyena, um, one of the, some of the smaller, the, the small spotted genus, large spotted genus, and the skunks, they were also very popular. But uh, for the witch doctor, a leopard skin would be the big deal. I think in witch doctor world, you haven't arrived until you've got a leopard body offering. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know. Let, and she let, said, "Just name your price." She, yeah, she always said to me. She'd say to me um, when I'd go in there, and she'd be dressed in a, you know, full regalia with the beads and everything, and face painted white, and the ash at the feet and everything. And she'd say to me, "You know, please bring me a leopard skin." And I'd say, "You know, impossible. I can't, <laughs> I can't bring you a leopard skin. You know, uh, you know, leopards not like finding urine we, you know, for, from a rock rabbit. You know." But yeah, so I, I would never have done that. You know, I never wanted it to be anything illegal. I never wanted it to be anything that that harmed you know mm-hmm. anything in any way. Absolutely. To me, it was a it was a big bonus to head out with my buddies out the mountains and scrape urine. <laughs> I told you the story, which now everybody's listening to, and I don't think I ever told many people the story. And that's how I made my first money as a little kid. Yeah, and here we are, twenty something years later. Yeah, second generation owner of John X Safaris, so yeah. still the entrepreneur. Ah, not sure about that. We <laughs> give it our best shot and we enjoy it along the way and we, we enjoy the camaraderie and we enjoy the experiences and I think the rest takes care of itself, Gabriel. Yeah. But nice to have guys like you here supporting us and, and being a part of it. Well, it's nice to get to hear a little bit more about uh, your childhood and some of the crazy things. I could tell you stories about my childhood, but I don't think they're appropriate for the, the radio, <laughs> but uh, enjoyed it, Carl. Thanks for Thanks for sharing that those little tidbits. That's oh, absolute pleasure, fascinating Gable. stuff. Absolute yeah. pleasure, man. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, interesting insight there from my good friend and PH Carl Van Seal. Uh, can you believe that parents would ration them five, twenty-two bullets a weekend? Um, and I, I, I know that Carl's dad probably could afford more, but trying to teach his son to be frugal and as you can see, worked out. Um, that segment of the show brought to you by First Light Hunting. Check out the Obsidian Pants. This is the actually the only pant I wore in South Africa. And why do I like the Obsidian? Because it's made out of merino wool. Keeps you warm when it's cool outside. And like merino wool does, it keeps you cool when it's warm outside. And uh, it's wintertime over in Africa right now. So... You know, temperatures were probably in the upper 30s to, you know, the 70s, let's just say. It was cold in the mornings, warm throughout the day, and then uh, pretty chilly in the evenings. Perfect for the obsidian pant. 
Uh, it's also great for those early season archery elk hunts. You can find the Obsidian as well as First Light's entire lineup by going to firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Lee Van Seal. This is Carl's sister. She's also the head chef at John X Safaris. And I'm not going to lie, I think I gained about 10 pounds while I was over there. But uh, we'll get into liver, heart, uh, carpaccio, tongue, who knows what else. It's coming at you next right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Greep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of Teammate, the T-post game camera mount. Teammate is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-post, and latch it in place. Teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com. Every day I wake up knowing it could be my last. I ain't here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. So bring on the sunshine to hell with the red wine. Pour me some moonshine. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. King George here for a good time, bringing us back. Thanks to DSC, our title sponsor, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. We appreciate their support as well, and uh, appreciate you guys for being here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we are all set to head into the kitchen with our friend Lee Van Seal of uh, John X Safaris. She literally is what makes the world go round at John X because we stayed so well fed. Uh, I gained weight. You'd think that if you get up at 5 a.m., you hunt until dark that you'd probably be, and I mean, we hunted in the mountains, like backcountry hunting, hiking, lots of elevation change. It didn't matter. I gained weight <laughs> because of Lee's cooking, uh, which is absolutely uh, a thing of beauty. And, uh, and so with that being said, some of my favorite dishes as far as wild game goes that I've ever eaten have been on my two trips to uh, John X Safari's. And so I figured we should get Lee on here to discuss what goes into the preparation of making those dishes. It's a very unique situation to be able to just walk into the, the walk-in cooler and pick out what meat, what cut off of what animal you want to serve that night. But that's exactly what Lee gets to do. You think about all of the animals that come into the skinning shed. Uh, once they're skinned, they go into the walk-in, whether that's a giraffe or something as small as a steenbuck everything in between. Uh, so we're going to get into that with Lee here. But first, this segment is probably brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of, my friend. So 
If you want to uh, finance your slice of paradise, you know what to do. Give my friends over at Lone Star Ag Credit a call. They've been doing it for over 100 years, and they will take care of you. Check them out, LoneStarAgCredit.com. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome my good friend and the lady that keeps uh, everyone in camp fat and happy over at John X Safari's, Lee Fancil. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure, and uh, it's been a pleasure being here once again, eating your food at John X Safari's, um, which I've I've been fortunate enough to hunt a lot of places, but the food here is better than anywhere else in the world or anywhere else in the United States that I've ever hunted. So awesome! Thanks for the compliment, Cable. Yeah. Appreciate that. So you uh, grew up in the, around this hunting. I your did. Dad was the first generation owner of John X, and you run the kitchen. I do, yeah. and it's great fun. I'm very lucky because I can just go up to the skinning shed and pick from whatever the hunters have chosen for the day, or shot for that day, and generally I like to mature my meat for five days minimum. That guarantees nice soft meat, uh-huh. and what's really fun is, even though I have a sort of an idea what I'm going to cook for the next week or so, as the meat comes in and something takes my fancy, I'll go up to the skinning shed and I will go and pick whether it's an ox, t- uh, sorry, a buffalo tail today, or a piece of tenderloin from a nyala, or a buffalo's tongue, or an elan's um, backstrap. It's whatever fa- takes my fancy that day, uh-huh. and I generally just change up the menu and serve you what you know what I feel like on the day. Yeah. Well, so talk about the aging process. You, you said you like to do five days. Is that just hanging in the walk-in cooler? Yeah, that's right. Um, so generally, I, I don't like to take it less than that unless it's a tenderloin. Um, but then once I've taken it up from, from the skinning shed, I take it down to my fridge in the kitchen. And then for a day at least, I like to let it lie in some butter and some garlic. I fry up some garlic in the pan with some butter, some... Um, seasoning and rosemary and I like to put the meat in that for another day mm-hmm. so by the so time you marinate it for yeah, 24 hours yeah I would say so you were looking at six seven days before you actually eat the meat uh-huh. so there's a lot of preparation involved in yeah. the meat and I think that's what enables us to have nice tender meat on safari oh my gosh every time yeah awesome. <laughs> so yeah um so one of one of the cool things that we've eaten on this trip uh and, and I do like the carpaccio but i that wildebeest, uh, wildebeest carpaccio you made the other night was one of the best things I've ever eaten. So talk about how you, you cured it for a couple yeah, of days. Well, first you aged it, then you cured it. Yeah, so. yeah. So we cured it for two days. That's made out of the wildebeest backstrap. So, and what's quite forgiving about carpaccio is because it's so thinly sliced, you, you, know, you actually don't even probably need to mature it for as long as mm-hmm. you would for cooking. Um, but after two days, um, in sort of, it, it's almost like a pickling spice mixed with some saltpeter, which adds for the color, some salt. Um, so you do that for two days, then we stick it in the deep freeze, and we cut it paper thin. Um, the deep freeze is just really to enable you to cut it better. And um, then just with the, a fillet knife, or no, we use a electric um, okay. slicer. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. just to get it perfectly thin. You really want to be able to almost look through the meat; it must almost be see-through. Mm-hmm. And um, then we drill, drizzle over some olive oil, some balsamic vinegar, oh some chopped um, some onion, and yeah, then you, you just make some condiments with it. So uh-huh. yeah, phenomenal. Um, one of the other things 
that you made, and this goes back to my first trip here. It was the first night I was ever in John X. Farr's camp. Okay. Uh, you brought out some e- smoked eland tongue yes. for an appetizer. Yes. Which was phenomenal. So talk about that because back home, very few people eat tongue in the United States. Once in a while, I'll go to like a Mexican food, like a taco place, and they'll yeah. have lingua tongue tacos. Okay. But other than that, it's hard to find. Yeah. Uh, and, and very few people know how to cook it. Okay. So talk about how so you cook it. So in South Africa, we, we actually enjoy all those kind of things, tongue, the tail, all of that. So it's, it's not so much a delicacy for us, mm-hmm. and we really do enjoy it. It takes about uh, five days of pickling. Um, yeah, the recipe is also sort of a pickling spice, but it takes a lot of vinegar, some sugar, um, saltpeter again for the pink color. And so what's very important in this process is the curing for five days and then um, boiling it. And this is what takes long. It, it could take up to five hours to boil an eland tongue because it's a big tongue. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's really no shortcutting here. You just need to feel until it's tender. And then as soon as it comes out of that hot water, we just peel off the outer layer of the tongue where the taste buds and the bits are on. Um, and then carve it nice and thin and serve it with a nice mustard sauce. It's wow. as simple as that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that was delicious. And then on the other end of the eland, yes. I think it was the last the night. Of the, yeah, we had eland. So it's like oxtail uh, stew, yes, but it was yes, with eland tail. Yes, so I, I use the concept of oxtail cooking. Um, this is really one of my favorite dishes to do, and I love it when I even get buffalo tail in any of the big animals. They mm-hmm. make a nice meaty tail, and um, so you need to collect a few to actually serve it as a meal. Um, so I started very early in the morning. I first fry up my, um, dip my tail in a bit of uh, flour, fry it to brown it nicely, and then I put it in a pot inside the oven with, um, I put some rosemary, some um, lots of spices, onion, and a bit of carrot. And the carrots really just to add the sweetness and top it up with water. And then you, you let it go for the whole entire day until tonight mm. when you guys get back from hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice and tender and I thicken it with a bit of flour to make the gravy nice and thick. And then I think the secret really is old brown sherry. So it's a sherry we have in South Africa. I'm sure you are able mm. to get a sherry oh, yeah. back home. And, and that adds a bit of a sweet taste to it. Um, but really the secret in good um, tail, game tail, is really cooking it for hours and hours and hours so that it literally falls off the bone by the time you eat it. Mm. Let me ask you this, Lee. Out of all the, the animals that come into the skinning shed here, which one is your favorite to work with? Because you've cooked so many of them for me now, and all of it is divine. But what is your personal favorite? Um, yeah, you're going to laugh, um, but a white blessed buck's meat is really easy to work with, but that's just for sort of all cuts when I'm making pots, stews, anything like that. But my favorite animal to, to do a good steak um, out of the filet is definitely the eland. Yeah. Eland makes an awesome steak, and, um, and in any of the little buck, like a spring buck, um, that makes for very, very tender, juicy pot meat. So I prefer the smaller animals when it comes to making my pots and stews and that kind of thing. And then on the other side of the, the scale is the, the eland, which really has the best filet and mm-hmm. the closest to a beefsteak. And I think there were times in the last hunting season that I actually think it tasted better than any beefsteak I had served yet. So the eland really is one of my favorite. Yeah, well, yeah. it's phenomenal. Uh, and I've had, like you said, I've had both ends and yeah. the back strap. It's, uh, it's, it's probably my favorite as well. One thing that we haven't talked about, and, and this is my favorite thing to eat while we're out in the field hunting, you know, for a snack, 
it's biltong. It's similar to jerky back in the States. Uh, but there's a little bit of history associated with that, which I'll let you talk about now. Okay. Um, yeah, I believe the Dutch settlers, when they came and they were traveling and trekking through our country, um, they ate it. And I guess over the years it developed um, a bit and got more seasoned and we've added some flavorings and it's different today, I guess. Um, so the normal biltong, um, we take the meat and we first rinse it in vinegar. The vinegar is really um, sort of a cleaning agent and actually a color agent. So what it does is when it dries, it dries into that nice dark color. Mm -hmm. So that's brown vinegar. And after we've done that, we place it in a, a dish and we put um, coarse salt, like a handful. We, we put a layer down, put a coarse salt on it, then some fine black pepper and then coriander. Um, and we layer it up and up and then we leave it for a whole day in that sort of mixture and then the following day we hang it up. Now depending on how um, thick your meat is, if it's sort of medium thickness then it will dry within about five days but very thick meat will take maybe a week to dry. Mm -hmm. the, the big secret is you must make it in winter time in a well vented um, aired room so that it, the biltong can actually dry. Mm -hmm. So it's really... So if you try to do it in summer it would rot? It would rot, yeah. Uh -huh. It's it's not great. Okay. Um, and so here at camp, where is the biltong? Where's that room? So we've got a butchery next to the skinning shed. Uh -huh. And um, we hang it up there. And we've got sort of sieves over the windows. So we have that constant airflow through. And um, then can I just add, besides the biltong, we also make chili bites. And, and that's a slightly different process in that um, we cut the meat frozen very, very thinly. And then we spice it with some chili and barbecue spice and then we hang it up so it's it's kind of like jerky but it's much thinner and it's spicy so so if i wanted to make this at home say with a white-tailed deer what cut of meat am i going to use for that like what part of the animal okay so for normal um jerky or biltong you could use most of the animal um if you could spare the back straps, that would probably be your most awesome biltong ever. Mm -hmm. um, but you can use most of the animal. For the chili bites in particular, you use the leg muscles. Um, so, yeah, it, biltong you could really make with any part of the animal. But the most important thing is you must remove the sinew off it. Otherwise, it's very chewy. Right, right. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, it's certainly my favorite snack, like I said, and just uh, a uh, big part of the South African tradition here. Awesome. Let's talk about dessert because, and I don't eat a lot of dessert, and, it ha and dessert really has nothing to do with hunting or butchering, but yeah. uh, that's really your passion. Your, your brother added you out and said that she's actually more just like loves baking. Yeah, I and do. You, I can see it because I only eat dessert on this trip. I don't eat it anywhere else. Oh, gosh. But I can't, I, I don't know what that one thing, um, it was like had the amarulo sauce. Okay, that's called malfa pudding. Oh, my and, God. And um, that is very traditionally South African. Um, so it's really, I guess... A, a sort of a cake, if you will. Um, it's hard for me. I don't know if there's something in the states that compares to it, but um, so it's it, like bread it, pudding, maybe. Yeah. So it's it's sort of like a batter that we put in the oven, and um, we bake it, and then as soon as it comes out of the oven, this is I think what makes it so delicious is you make a, a syrup, if you will call it, or a sauce, out of butter and loads of sugar and amarula, which is like Bailey's cream. It's South Africa's version. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, literally, you just poke holes into this dessert and pour the sauce over. So it seeps into it, and it makes it really sticky and 
moist and so then we also serve it with an extra shot of amarula butter cream sauce and um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Absolutely. I, yeah. I do have to schedule an appointment with my cardiologist when I get <laughs> back home but uh, yeah the food absolutely amazing. Thank uh, you. We could go on and on about some of the other divine things that, that you've made. I look forward to next year. Yes. And uh, I know Josh and Jeff have just been amazed with the, with the food as well. And Thank you. That's a big part of the experience here at John X Safaris, and I certainly appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for your time. All right. There she goes, our good friend Lee Fanseal of John X Safaris. That segment of the presentation brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. Check out the new Pulsar Helion. I use it religiously. Of course, to scan for feral hogs, um, if that's what we're hunting, you know, under the cover of darkness. But also, if you're walking to your tree stand or you're blind in the dark, pull out the helion and give it a little scan. That way you're not going to blow out as many deer because we've always been there. And it's kind of eerie. Sometimes it even makes you jump. You're walking to your tree stand in pitch blackness and all of a sudden a doe starts snorting at you. Hey, that's not good for a hunt. Sometimes that's in game right there. And you've blown everything out. So use that helion. Make sure that doesn't happen to you. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. And you'll save 20% off of any Pulsar night vision or thermal optic if you use my promo code LONESTAR. All right. Uh, up next, we will visit with uh, John X Safari's PH Martin Niper. And we'll discuss the bow hunting opportunities that South Africa offers. Is it worth bringing a bow or should you just bring a rifle? We discuss next with Martin right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Oh, honey, you bend, but I don't break. Things are different when we were young. Hey, y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters. And whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision. Under the cover of darkness, 3Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields. Or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3Curl.com to book your next hog hunt. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H is in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we could have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. 
Hi, this is Nolan Ryan. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Living on Lone Star Time, wondering where I've been. Should I make up my mind and go down that road? Will I ever come home again? Living on Lone Star Time, Dub Miller bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. That one is for my buddy Martin Kniper, who we're about to visit with here. Uh, Martin is a longtime freelance PH, does a lot of guiding for, and he's also a hardcore bow hunter. Actually, if you look at his Instagram page, it says, before it even says freelance PH, it says professional bow hunter. Uh, so Martin knows how to get it done with a stick and string. One of, I think, only six people in the world to have taken a Vol Reed buck with a bow and arrow. Um, and uh, also, but back to uh, Dub Miller. Uh, Martin is a very reserved and quiet guy until the campfire gets going at night and he gets the guitar. And then he's like a whole new person. And he's had the uh, opportunity to spend time with both uh, Dub Miller and Kevin Fowler in various camps uh, in Africa over the years. So uh, he knows his country music, big fan of it. Actually left him a Turnpike Troubadours record uh, in his uh, Land Rover. Uh, he took us to the airport, and I said, hey, Martin, give this a listen. He, he thoroughly enjoyed it, so I said, you know what? You just keep that, and uh, I expect you to know their full catalog for Campfire Times when I come back next year. <laughs> uh, so but before we visit with Martin, this segment of the show brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Y'all have seen my custom 7 mag. It's what I took to South Africa last week. It's a tack driver. Uh, just harvested my uh, animal furthest distance ever, 600-yard shot. And that's a testament to, the, uh, to that gun. I mean, truly, it's a lot better than I am. I tell you that much. Start customizing your own rifle build. Go to horizonfirearms.com today. All right. Uh, well, without further ado, Martin agreed to do this interview, kicking and screaming. I, like I said, he's very shy until uh, the guitar comes out. But uh, Carl told him, hey, you got to do this. And so here he is joining me now. It's my pleasure to welcome my good friend Martin Niper to the show. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit this week. Uh, you weren't here last summer when I came. Um but you've been guiding my, my good buddy Josh uh, Delhaney this whole week, and I know you guys have had a blast. Yeah, it's been real a real treat having him, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you got some nice trophies on the last trip that I could see. And, uh, you know, the guys now, Josh and Jeff, have also um, come through with very nice animals, and so have you. And uh, it looks like the guys are having a blast. Well, I mean, it's no secret. we owe All that success starts with the pH uh, and the knowledge that they have of, of the terrain and the animals that we're hunting. And it's so, it's crazy to me because back home, you know, I could guide a turkey hunt or a whitetail hunt, but you guys have like 23 or four different species on, even just on this one property, and to have to judge everything from a steam buck and a little six inch horns to a kudu, it's, uh, it's, that, there's a lot of knowledge that goes into that. Yeah, there's certainly lots of knowledge that goes into it. Um, I just think also we have a longer hunting season, so it allows for us to get to know our animals better. Mm -hmm. And uh, once again, I also believe it does take a team effort, you know, besides for us being the guards finding the animals. I think that it's, uh, you know, making good shots and that it's on you hunters, you know, to pull through with that. So, 
yeah. how you guys have done well. Well, so talk a little bit about what goes into becoming a PH because it's not like you can just say, oh, I just want to go guide hunts now. You have to you have to go through schooling or an apprenticeship or, or something like that. Yes, um, we have to do a 10-day, what we call a PH course. Um, it's about 10 days, but it's literally 10 days of uh, examinations and uh, being um, practical and uh, written examinations. You know, the guys, you need to have a little bit of experience before you go and do it. You know, you can't just off the bat think you can just become a guide. Anyone can get it, get it on paper. But, um, you know, it's like re- uh, speaking and language. You've got to be able to learn from young and, it, you know, you, you get the instincts of hunting in you. And then, uh, you know, you, being a natural hunter is more uh, part of it than, in, than knowing what's on paper, you know. And do most of you guys train under another PH at some point in time? Yes. Uh, I'll just give an example. When I started, like, in my school holidays and that sort of thing, um, my dad's good friend uh, used to go out guiding in the area that I lived in, and I used to love going with him and uh, experiencing the different species that I would otherwise not be able to afford to hunt myself, you know, like sable and roan and buffalo and, and you know, rhino, green hunts and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's it's becomes part of your life, and, you know, we really enjoy what we do. So... The 10-day course is just kind of like confirmation that you know what you're doing, mm. but it's more in the experience in my opinion. Right. Well, so you have the bow hunting bug. Uh, your Instagram says professional bow hunter, freelance PH. So you have the bow hunter before the PH even. So you're very you're an accomplished bow hunter. Carl was telling me on the way uh, from the from the airport, he's like, yeah, Martin's just he's a machine. He's killed so many things with his bow. If we have a bow hunter coming in camp, you know, we we usually put him with Mart. Um, so when did you get bit by that bug uh, early on in life? Yeah, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, um, I was fortunate enough to have hunted quite a, a big variety of species with a rifle already. Um, and that's thanks to my dad, you know, going out from a young age. But I just wanted a, a another challenge, you know, in the hunting industry. And I thought that I'd pursue bow hunting because it's more one-on-one. Uh, you don't necessarily, you know, you don't shoot as many animals, but <clears throat> I'm in it more for the experience and the challenge of outwitting the animal. And uh, I especially enjoy hunting, like selecting a particular animal and then trying to pursue it on foot. Not a species, like one particular bull. Yes, for example, if I see a big Nyala bull in a particular area that, um, you know, appeals to me, you know, I'd like to set my sights on one animal and try and get around all the others to get to that one mm-hmm. just makes it a little bit more challenging as well yeah well carl and i uh recently taped a discussion on on the vol rebuck i understand that the list of people who have actually killed one with a bow is, is very small but you're one of those people yeah you know i i started uh hunting them in the last couple of years and guided a few rifle hunters on them and then it just really appealed to me what an extreme challenge it is to get close to them and uh, being a bow hunter as well I sort of set myself a challenge a couple of years back that you know that I really wanted to try and um, pursue this and in uh, earlier this year I went to one of my good friends uh, ranches you know and he has quite a lot of fall rayback and it's very high altitude very you know in this in this particular area and uh, we used you know the the channels and the draws to our advantage 
And the biggest problem with hunting for Val Rayback in that terrain is the wind that keeps switching in the thermals. We have that. I mean, this is the same everywhere. Those those thermals start swirling in the mountain. I mean, bow hunting for elk, for example. And you're, I mean, that's, you get screwed. <laughs> yeah. And you can do everything right. And then in the wind shifts and, well, but now you're not doing it right. But like, it's not your fault. Exactly. And they'll always uh, position themselves in an area that... They can see what they can't smell and smell what they can't see. Mm. So that makes it extra challenging. So eventually after more or less three days of hiking up and down the mountains, um, I'd actually zeroed my bow out to 110 yards for that particular hunt. And uh, I had one or two shot opportunities at long range, but the wind was just so erratic that uh, I, you know, the wind drifted one or two shots of mine off. And then luckily... I found a nice shootable ram on the morning of the third day and uh, I pursued him for about probably four hours total, stalked him three times, bumped him and then every time I just kind of watched him and uh, eventually went and bedded down in a lower lying area which was to my advantage and uh, there was a draw that came up from below and I just uh, used it to my advantage and uh, just waited it out and eventually a female stood up by the side him which got his attention and stood up and gave me the opportunity to draw and at 30 yards I made a I made a quartering away shot and yeah that is one of my one of my career highlights absolutely absolutely let's talk about some of the other animals that you've guided for or harvested yourself we were talking at lunch earlier and you said you've done five archery cape buffalo hunts yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be able to just tag along on, on my buddy Glenn's uh, buffalo rifle hunt for Cape Buffalo last year. and It was the most intense hunting uh, experience of my life, for sure. Uh, even more so than uh, harvesting a bear or a mountain lion, Cape Buffalo is a scary dude. So you have to get how close, number one, and then talk about what kind of poundage you need to be pulling if you're thinking about hunting the black death with a bow. Yeah, it's quite a quite a challenge to get good penetration on those guys. So, and uh, you know, with their demeanor, you've also got to pick your shot. So it boils down to them not knowing you there. You know, you got to see it before it sees you, and uh, using the wind to advantage, um, obviously. And uh, I always recommend a slight quartering away shot to be the the better option, um, because then you can get nicely in to the vitals, which sit pretty far forward. And a buffalo's ribs overlap, mm. so you need a in you need lots of kinetic energy to go through those. And uh, I recommend 85 foot-pounds kinetic energy. And luckily, with today's um, modern technology in the bows, you know you can shoot a 75-pound bow with a 750 or 800-grain arrow, which will suffice. You know, with a good broadhead, we've had very good success using uh, Dr. Ed Ashby broadheads. Oh. Um, you know, we found those to be very good. And uh, you know your your bow must be perfectly tuned with that heavy setup because a true arrow out a light bow is a lot more effective than an arrow that fishtails out a heavy poundage bow because mm-hmm. um, of dissipation of energy. But yeah, and you know we try and get twenty yards from those from the guys, and uh, it's <laughs> it's quite it's quite thrilling. So if they have a bow in their hands, you better you you have to have a gun, right? Yes, yeah, we carry a gun, and uh, the unfortunate thing with the bow, you know, you, you can't be, we have to be a lot more selective with the shots, you know, that shoulder um, provides a, a very big uh, Pro- protector, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. you can't penetrate that. Yeah, you can't shoot quartering on shots, 
uh, on Buffalo, and that's very often um, the shot that you'll be presented with. You know, you'll see you, and then you'll kind of turn around to look at you, and then that shoulder just covers that vital area. Mm. And then, you know, we've had often that they kind of come closer and to see what we are, and like a 10 yards kind of snort and run off, you know, and that gets the adrenaline going. But uh, at the end of the day, um, as I say, you know, if you've got a nice wind, steady wind, then just tuck it in behind the shoulder, slight quartering away shot, you know, then most of the time, double lung, stay safe. Don't try any fancy hard shots or anything. If you just get it nicely behind the shoulder, about a third up in the double lung area, you normally don't have a problem. Uh-huh. Well, so let me ask you this. If I want to bring my bow next year, because I do like to bow hunt, I'm not as passionate about it as you are. I just you tell me what the season is and what weapon to bring, and I'll be there. But I mean, obviously, bow hunting is is your passion. A lot of our listeners are probably the same way. Um, you can't, you don't recommend just bringing a bow to Africa, though. It's really, you know, it's more of an opportunistic deal, and uh, I think it's better to have both options. Would Would you agree with that? Yes, I agree with you totally there. Um, I just think bounting is very time-consuming. Yeah. And for you to get the full experience down here, I think it would be um, a better option to go with rifle and bow. Um, you know, even though I'm I'm an avid bow hunter, I just think that your you know your your experience when it comes to the true Eastern Cape experience, you'll be able to live it much better through rifle and bow hunting. There are more. There are species that are you know more. Um, relevant to hunt with a bow you know like on the coast our coastal areas where you can spot and stalk nicely there's a lot of grass underfoot um animals like your cape bushbuck your nyala and that sort of thing make for very nice uh, spot and stalk hunts and then when we go slightly inland it gets more arid more rocky you know it's very noisy underfoot um it's not impossible to bow hunt uh, we have had good success bow hunting but uh, then you know the rifle comes out there's very big valleys and the animals are skittish mm-hmm. in some areas you know and um, and obviously others they're less skittish but you know I just think to get your full full package it's a good idea to bring both especially for you know if you've come to Africa a handful of times and you really just want to focus on bow hunting uh, absolutely but if you want to go home with I think most guys want to go home with five to ten trophies uh, if they come for a week or t- uh, 10 days, then I think yeah, you really are limiting yourself if you just did it, try to do it with a bow. We do also have blinds on our woodland safari estate where the guys sit in the dry months, you know, June, July, August. <clears throat> you get uh, your, your Nyala, your Kudu, Waterbuck, Eland, Impala, Warthog, all that stuff coming in. But uh, we also enjoy the spot and stalk and walk and stalk experience. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know the the greener months like April, March, April, and then again uh, September, October, are are better for those you know, for that kind of hunting. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I know a little bit about you personally. You're not married. Don't have any kids. Is that just because you hunt like 600 days a year? <laughs> uh no. I just think uh, you know that I'm I'm exceptionally busy with the hunting and that sort of thing. Um. Uh, probably in the next two or three years, I'll get around to, <laughs> to that department of life. But yeah, just well, busy. Carl told me that uh, Josh was in good hands because he said, and we'll leave it with, we'll, we'll end it with this: that uh, Martin is the the guy who, if Chuck Norris needed a, a PH, 
That's who he's laughing right now. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how, how Martin's known around here at John X Safaris. The guys always joke around about it, but I truly don't believe that. But yeah, I, I take that as a compliment from the guys. And uh, now everyone has their as their pros. Some guys are better at mountain hunting. Some guys are better at bow hunting. So we've got all the guides here, you know, that you for your wish list. Right on, man. Well, hey. Uh, if you want to tell everyone what your Instagram page is so they can follow along. Okay, my Instagram page is Sniper. Well, thanks, Martin. It was a treat. Thanks, Cable, and good luck with the rest of your hunt. Our friend and bow hunting extraordinaire, Martin Sniper of John X Safaris. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Overstocks and Bargains. Check it out right now. We've got the Lone Star Outdoors Show special on Winchester Blindside. It is $16.99 a box. That stuff usually goes for like $24, bucks, something like that. You can find it at overstocksandbargains.com, and you'll save 10% off your entire ammunition order if you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's LONESTAR at overstocksandbargains.com. We're just looking at the clock here. Uh, we have got to go, got to get out of here. Unfortunately, we are flat out of time. Thanks to all of our guests uh, from John X Safaris today, Carl, Lee, and Martin. Uh, certainly enjoyed visiting with all of them. And uh, I hope that maybe this has inspired you to book your first safari. Whether you go with John X or someone else, I uh, highly recommend it. The Dark Continent is a place of allure and mystique that can only be experienced by traveling there yourself. Um, we will do it again same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Yeah.